You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> hey, before we start this exciting podcast today, I want to let you know we've got coming up here May 25th, 26th, and 27th, the McIntyre Business Accelerator, MBA. It's our fourth one. If you're a small business owner, entrepreneur, want to accelerate your business, take it from 500000 to $5 million and more, or whatever the denomination you are at, Come check it out. Listen, I started a company with zero and took it to $3 billion in sales. You've seen our trailer for The Accelerator, okay? This is where it begins. And if you want to be a member of that show or be broadcast on that show, come on in. We could select you if you qualify at this MBA. So come on and check it out. We're excited about this. Go check it out at themichaelmcintyre.com and see if you qualify for the McIntyre Business Accelerator. Because look, if you're in business, it's time to accelerate. For startups, business has been around. No matter if you've got a $500,000 a year revenue or five or $50 million in revenue, we'll help you accelerate. It's intense. It's three days. And then also we have 12 months of coaching as well attached to that. It's really incredible. All right. Enjoy this podcast. God bless you. Welcome to McIntyre's Next Level Podcast, a place for entrepreneurs, leaders, and dreamers to awaken and be activated to their full potential. Are you ready to get out of the boat and experience your next level? Here's your host, Michael McIntyre. Welcome, everybody. Michael McIntyre here, your most humblest host here on the Next Level Podcast here at McIntyre in Studio M. And we are very impressed today with my guest, if I can't say so myself. Listen, uh, this guy is a colonel, was a colonel in the Air Force, and uh, I got a lot of, uh, you know, I was in the Air Force, not a colonel, though. <laughs> I, was, I came in as a basic airman. This guy came in flying uh, fighter jets. And so, uh, this man is very cool, and uh, so I got to know this guy here through NLE and through MBA and leadership, and so I just really, I'm just really proud to bring in Colonel Jeff Hoskins. Jeff, welcome to the Next Level Podcast, brother. Thank you, Michael. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, so, you know, having a having a fighter pilot on here, I know, you know, what's really interesting is during our time with Next Level Experience, you didn't mention that at all in there. I remember when I was uh, in there talking about, because I like airplanes, as you know, and I talk about airplanes. I did ask if there was any pilots in the room, and you did raise your hand, but you you could have stood up and said, listen, son, I've flown at Mach 3. I mean, <laughs> you know, 0.78 Mach and your Lear jets, nothing. And so anyways, that was quite impressive. And uh, so I want I to... I, I don't want to spend all this time on this, but I do want our listeners to hear your journey here uh, in the Air Force. I mean, you went to the Air Force Academy. Obviously, you're super smart. Uh, you even flew uh, fighter jets in, in the Iraq war. And so uh, tell us a little bit about your extent and, and, or your, your time in the Air Force. And then I want to plow into what you're doing now. Okay. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I, uh, I went to the Air, Air Force Academy when I graduated from high school. Um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you know, as, as you and I know, yes. uh, uh, I graduated, uh, after four years, which more, more or less what everybody does. I went to pilot training in Mississippi. Um, I didn't know when I selected my pilot training base that there was an option to stay there. I really thought I was going to go to pilot training. I was going to go fly F-15s in Germany and, uh, you know, in my twenty-one-year-old uh, youthfulness, uh, chase fraulines and drink beer, even though. I didn't <laughs> so uh, that that was my career plan, but the Air Force and uh, and to be honest, God had a different plan for me. So I uh, was selected to come back immediately upon graduation, well, to go get trained and then come back as an instructor pilot. Spent uh, about a year and a half teaching non-pilots how to fly. In the uh, the T thirty eight, which was the uh, the second half of pilot training, and then I went to San Antonio, Texas, uh, and taught pilots how to become instructor pilots. Uh, did that for a couple years. Went to Mountain Home, Idaho, great place, um, but not as beautiful as one might think. Uh, I flew. 
F-111s and then uh, was initial training and then EF-111s, which was a radar jamming variant of the airplane, went to after that, went to uh, the UK, uh, East Anglia and flew F-111s there. Gulf War, Saddam and Hussein invaded Iraq. Uh, I, as part of the entire wing, kind of deployed to Saudi Arabia and spent a lot of time in the desert waiting to see what was would happen. Uh, I flew in the first night of the Gulf War, ended up with 25 missions, um, Wow! bombing various things over Iraq. Wow. And uh, while we were there, they announced that the, the wing was going to transition from the flying the F-111 to flying the F-15E, which was a two-seat uh, fighter-bomber variant of the F-15. And I have wanted to fly F-15s since I was a teenager. So that was uh, kind of a, a dream come true. Uh, was selected to do that, got to do that. Uh, then the Air Force had other ideas. So I got sent off to school and I went and did my penance in the, uh, the Pentagon for a couple of years, went back to England to fly F-15s. Uh, as you progress and rank, the flying opportunities, it's kind of like a pyramid. You know, there's lots of lieutenants and captains and not so many uh, folks at the top. So that was the end of my flying career in 2002. Uh, I went to New Mexico where I learned how to test new weapon systems that the Air Force was buying, whether it's bombs or missiles or, or airplanes. I led the team that planned the t operational test of the uh, new Joint Strike Fighter, the then new, now it's the F-35 and it's, you know, flying in Air Forces around the world and made Colonel there. And I'd always had this idea since I was, I don't know, a captain, that it'd be kind of cool to be an attache, uh, which is a being a military diplomat. Mm -hmm. And you had to be a Colonel to do that. And I hadn't really thought about it much for a long time, but when it came time to, uh, to, to uh when you know when i made colonel then i started looking to see what was available and this kind of funny story i uh saw that there was a job in rome that was looking like the guy that was there was going to leave about the time i should should think about finding that job called him up he said he had you know nothing but great things to say about it so i asked my kids uh dinner that night i said hey got a question for you we need we got a family decision to make here I go, what, Dad? I go, how would you like to move to Rome and live there and learn to speak Italian? And my daughter's eyes got about as big as they would get. And, you know, <laughs> she thought that was really, really cool. It yeah, was. as most anybody would. So did you end up it in was, I did not because it was so cool. And the guy that was there loved his job so much. He extended for another year, <laughs> <laughs> which threw off my timing. I thought, oh, my gosh. Because I'd already volunteered to be an attache at this point, and I thought, oh, they're going to send me someplace I really don't want to go. Mm. And um, the Lord worked things out. The, I got a phone call out of the blue from the personnel center, which never, ever, they never call you. It's, you know, and, and right. I go, hey, um, how'd you like to go to London? I'm like, well, let me consult for a second. You know, let me twist my rubber arm here. Yes. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And so uh, one thing led to another, and I ended my career as a uh, diplomat in London, uh, which well, is as good it, as you would think it would be. Yeah, and it's amazing. I look back, you know, I look at your deal, and yeah, I got, you were, of course, you went to college. I think we're about the same age, and uh, you were just coming into the Air Force when I was getting out. I got out in 1981, uh, and so... Uh, and so it was really interesting, but I, I think your career path was incredible. And, and you're probably the most humble fighter pilot I've ever met. And I've interviewed a couple of fighter pilots and, you know, you know, I remember at, at MBA saying, listen, man, you got to bring some of this out. You've got to get this on your resume. This is impressive stuff. I remember David Nolan, uh, who was on our panel at that time. You know, he was like, you know, he had a bro crush on you big time, man. He was like asking you all about this <laughs> stuff. You know, it's something pretty cool about flying mock speeds. It's got to be. I mean, you know, I mean, the F-15, you know, it, it you know, it does some things. And that F-18, right? What, F-118 now? I mean, that thing's crazy cool, is it not? If, if, F-18? Yeah. You Like in, in Top Gun? Yeah. Um, 
so you're right about being i'm trying to be humble because the uh you know the, the occupational hazard of being a fighter pilot is being arrogant mm-hmm. and i've been fighting that for a long time that's i think why god didn't let me be a fighter pilot right away is because i would have been too arrogant yeah so let me just channel a little bit of that the f-18 is a f-15's little brother just saying it there it is <laughs> all right so for all these strategic air command top guns listening to this podcast right now uh i didn't say it <laughs> Colonel. Yeah, i did yeah i'm gonna go there all my f-15 bros will uh go and, oh hell yes and the f-18 guys are all if there's any listening they're offended already so yeah that's but, good but they know how the game how the game goes absolutely absolutely okay so so you get out of the air force uh you did really good what an astonishing career you're married you've got children and so you start getting into the uh global corporate executive world and i mean you land at deutsche bank you do some great really stuff with bridgewater i mean how did all that materialize because that's pretty impressive jeff because because what i want to get to today i want to say okay because coming through mba i want to find out you know, what it is that that your ideal situation is and how's this journey been uh, unpacking? I know we've talked a little bit about Donald Miller and, and and that sort of thing, but how was it coming? What was your transition like from, from the, you know, uh, fighter pilot, instructor pilot, diplomat coming out of that into the corporate, you know, capitalistic world here that we all love so much? It was, um, it's been led by God. I mean, yeah. that's the first thing to say. I, uh, you know, the, the the normal route, retired guy, I had, you know, some experiences. I, the normal route would have been to go uh, work for a defense contractor. And, in fact, I probably would have been a, a very valuable employee to them at that time. But um, our youngest was, at the time I retired, our youngest uh, had two more years of high school left. He was going to a private school in london and he wanted to to finish there and it was a great school and my wife really felt like god wanted us to stay in uh in london so i'm like okay well we'll say never mind to the normal and uh, let's go see what i can find and in a very godlike i don't know how this is all going to happen or where it's all going roundabout kind of way uh i ended up working at deutsche bank uh based on my my project management experience when I was leading a team for the F-35, and I was the project manager for a global change initiative that the uh, the real estate and facilities team was doing. Um, and I did that for a year, and at that time, I was just a, a contractor. They asked me, liked what I did, asked me to, to become a full-time employee, so I did that. I spent another year in London, uh, and then, and this is totally a God thing, I got a phone call out of the blue from a man I'd worked with who was in charge of the the banks, the facility team for the bank for Asia. And and he said, how would you like to come to India? It was a hmm. bit of, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going to have to pray about that one. And uh, um, I hear they have deli belly over there and it's not fun. <laughs> it's, India was never, ever on my radar as a place to go visit, to live. I, it was, that, that's, you know, it was a God thing. I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, is this from you? And immediately I got the sense. It's like, if it wasn't, this never would have happened. So um, so my wife got back. I asked her about it. I said, hey, I got a question to ask you. And she's like, okay, what? And she said, I said, how'd you like to move to India? <laughs> she looked at me. She looked at me and she could see I was serious. And she goes, probably not. I'm going to take a shower because she's been <laughs> to the gym. <laughs> But it was from God. And so we ended up in India and wow. uh, spent just shy of two years in India uh, and then came back, uh, went to or moved in, you know, had a job in New York City, lived in New Jersey, did that for several years. And then in a, a very ironic twist, uh, the bank decided that the job I was doing then, which was uh, information security, could be better done by someone in India. So I'm like, OK. And uh, called up uh, my former boss, the guy who really got me hired at DB, and, and said, hey, I need your advice. And he said, well, I've, I've just started a new job. And I could use some help. Uh, you want to come work for me? 
at Bridgewater and I had no idea what Bridgewater was. I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Bridgewater is a very unique company. It was a very interesting and, and uh, rewarding experience there. I um, learned a tremendous amount, amount about myself and, and got to build a, a COO team while I was there. Yeah. And operations is really key to these corporations, is it not? Yes. Yeah. And when, you know, Bridgewater is not like any other company on the planet, I think, or there may be some that are following them, but they're, they're huge on the importance of culture and how people work together and radically different. I mean, it's Ray's phrase, Ray Dalio is the, uh, the founder and um, now just to, now the chairman of the board, but the uh, radical transparency is one of his, his mantras there where anybody can question anything at any time. Mm -hmm. and and you have to be used to uh you know a 22 year old straight out of college going why are you doing that mm -hmm. you know, what's your facts what's your logic and uh yeah and, uh, it's a humbling you know, experience yes yeah. yeah so that was uh you know it, it was a great experience and, yeah and frankly yeah. even though it's it's not it, it's not a christian environment explicitly it's a business environment but sure. it's some aspects of that like to be have that level of transparency i kind of compared it to like well this is what it's gonna be like at heaven we're all gonna know each other's uh you know weaknesses and strengths and and we're still gonna love each other anyway so amen it was, amen it was, a, it was a it was a great experience well let, let me ask anyway, you that that uh sure yeah, because I think it's really important for our listeners to hear, you know, what, you know, because what you're, you've got a really interesting offer, you know, you really do. And I think there's a lot of companies out there uh, and I've dealt with not the level you have, but I've dealt with corporations. But, you know, my thing is mostly entrepreneurs, small business, you know, under, you know, $50 million a year in revenue. But you you step into this big boy game, which is really cool, and this global this this global corporate executive situation with your vast experience. What what is like if you come you, let's say somebody calls you up and say, Hey, Jeff, we want to hire you. Come on in. We need you to come in and, and take a deep dive into this and kind of troubleshoot where we're at here. Maybe it's operations, maybe it's human resources, maybe it's you know, the C suite. I don't know. So what would be your initial uh, entry point into that? Well, how would that look? I mean, do you, have, do, you, do you do it, you know, a big 360? Do you come in there and ask questions? Do you have a sit down? What, what would it look like for somebody to say, Jeff, I want you to come over here at, you know, Boeing and help us out. Or I want you to come over here at, uh, uh, you know, at uh, Rayathon and help us out. What would that look like for you? What would your first step be in that process? My first step in, you know, trying to help anybody um, is to understand their situation, their journey, what the problems that they're facing at, at the given moment. You know, what what do they think they need help with? And sometimes what people think the problem is, is just the symptom. And, you, and you've got to learn how to get down to the, the root cause of, you know, what's really the problem. Um, so that would be the first thing is understanding where they're at, what their goals are, what the problems they're facing and, and what causes those problems. And then um, trying to use all of the tools that I've learned over my you know, entire career to to address those problems and to to move them forward. Yeah. And so, so yeah. that which because I find that fascinating because that, that's a plant. That's a world that, you know, I just I really have not endeavored into. But I think. You've got on here your core values, which I think are great. Your integrity, confidence, servant leadership, transparency, and never stop learning. I think those are really awesome core uh, values. And when you step into the corporate world, uh, as you've been in, I've been, you know, you know, these these companies, these are huge companies, multi-billion-dollar year revenue companies. It's it's probably you know bringing, you know, you you. I would suspect that you have to come in there as a covert Christian. Are you, do you not? Or is, can you be overt in some aspects of that? When I started, it was a, 
more covert Christian, you know, at, at DB that, you know, being in London. Um, and really, I had a tremendous amount of learning to do. It was, you know, my first civilian job in another country, in a corporate culture instead of the military, working for a German company. Uh, you know, there, there's just a lot of uh, listen a lot and talk a little. Uh, when I moved, when we moved to India, that was very clearly a God thing. And, you know, in India, Christians are a, a very small minority of the population. So it's, I forget exactly, it's about 70, maybe 80% Hindu, 15% Muslim, and, and the other, the rest is, you know, Christians are like 2%. So, and, but I was going in as a Christian and determined to represent Jesus in the workplace, um, which meant not being an overt Christian, not a, a you know an evangelist for Christ, but simply acting like Him as best good. I could with everyone that I met. That's well uh, said. So that's good. You know, the, it's well, and and in India, there's a very they're very conscious of. Um, I forget the term they use, but basically the religious differences, because there's been so much conflict between Hindu and Muslims over the years. Right. Um, and so. Uh, so I was conscious of that as well and just you know, tried to operate that way. When I got to Bridgewater, as I got established in, in the culture there, I became. More over, I prayed for people in church or I mean, at work, never forced myself on it, but Bridgewater had this openness of you know, be your, and to bring your whole self to work. I'm like, okay, I'm bringing my whole self to work. So I love that. <laughs> I, I, my workplace was my ministry place. And I, um, you know, I, I prayed for people. I saw healings at work, which mm -hmm. was really cool. One uh, young woman I and I had a, had a, a dislocated kneecap that she'd suffered from it periodically flared up for a number of years. And I prayed for it and, and she had it all bandaged up. And I said, okay, now, check it out, see if it's healed. And uh, she took her bandage off and started doing deep knee bends. And I mean, the look on her face oh, was, man. Oh my gosh. was amazing. So, uh, God, man. so yeah. I, I love that. I, All I, right. I, so Bridgewater, Bridgewater, you had a lot of freedom in that deal. Yes. Yeah. And so, which is really cool. I love that. And so were you, were you labeled as a Christian or were you the only one or were there a lot of other of you out there or did people, was it a non-judgmental place? If that's even possible. Fairly, it was non-judgmental because I was one of the, you know, be open and, and to new ideas. Um, my admin, I, when I got there, I needed to hire an, an admin and, and had a number of people to talk to. And uh, the lady I ended up hiring in the interview kind of threw a, a Bible quote at me. And I'm like, OK, I'll raise you. I'll see you see your uh, see your quote and raise you one kind of thing. And and, and I. There were other things as well, but that was a very clear sign to me that like this yeah. is a lady I need to hire. And when I gave she told me later when I gave her a verse back, she decided uh, I was a guy she wanted to, you know, work with and work for. And, and I love I love our little Christian dog whistles. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this this was. Uh, she she was pretty overt for it. And uh, and but she was, a, a you know full-on uh you know charismatic believer came from a catholic background but she loved jesus and and you know awesome. we pray together and so awesome i love it yeah all uh, right so that. in your business now which i I, lo I love this part because i think your your business here that you have jeff is so needed you want to partner with business owners to help them run their business more effectively and or prepare their business for sale okay how does that look yes i mean everybody generally wants you know maybe they, they're looking for an exit strategy how does that look in your world so this is it's it's taking everything that i've learned and bringing it to partner with someone to to help them uh, i find in the small business world um you know there are parts of the business that that um the business owner loves it's what they do it's it's the core of the business and they love doing that and that there's other things that have to be done they know that have to be done that they don't necessarily like to do or maybe they're not very good at 
or they just don't want to put the time and effort into to doing those things. And so that's where I think I can add value by coming in, being a partner, helping that, helping them do that. Now, maybe they're running their business fine, but they just need a, a, a mentor or a, a, I think you use the term a battle buddy, somebody that they can be completely honest and transparent and, and bounce ideas off of, or, or, you know, sometimes go, what do you think of this idea? And they need somebody that, We'll tell them that's not a very good idea or it's a good idea, but you're not implementing it right or, you know, whatever that is. So there's there's that that's the partnership. Helping people run things better, uh, whether it's people side or or operationally. Um, and then the other part, which I am learning. And I have some great mentors on doing is helping them prepare for sale. You know, good. a lot of small and medium sized businesses know that at some point they're going to need to, to exit the business. I mean, we all exit in one way or another, obviously, but uh, they, they want to sell it. Um, they want to move on and they don't really know how to do that. And I have now been trained and, and know, you know, how do you do that and how do you increase the value? And, and it's not something you do in two or three weeks. It's, you know, it's, it may be a, a two year process to sure. really get the business in a place where you could sell it for the maximum value. And do you, and so are you trying to, I, I guess, not going too deep into the woods, are you looking at EBITDA mm -hmm. on, you know, getting that, that number to, to get to the right multiple? And do you research what the multiple is on that market uh, in that biz, particular business? Yes, there's all of that. And then there is, you know, a number of small businesses, the primary thing that to increase the value of the company is to move from a owner operated uh, model to professionally managed, which means the the owner has to move off of the org chart. Uh, you know, if you're an owner operated business and you can be very successful at it. But you can only sell it to someone who's like you. Right. And when you when you can move it into. I've got this business and I've got a whole team that's running it. And then you can sell it to a whole lot more people, including the private equity funds. And, you know, yeah, that's so wise. Like that's that. so good. You know, I, I, in my book, the next level life, I talk about that, that I probably should, I, you know, I should have left five years earlier and brought in professional management, which I did look for at one time. I really did. But let me tell you something. If you're doing it on your own, <laughs> Bro, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work because there's nobody you're going to like that's going to replace you, right? It's just not <laughs> going to happen. And I went through it, you know, in fact, Stacy and I, you know, we wind and dined a whole bunch of people. We had people come in with, you know, from MIT, with MBAs, from Harvard, Yale, and, you know, Columbia and Brown and all that stuff. And, you know, I pissed on all of them. Man, I didn't like any of them, you know, and I should have had a professional like yourself come in there and say, let's get this done right, you know, and yeah. to take some time. And as an entrepreneur, you know, most entrepreneurs really need to check their ego and they need to just humble themselves to that process, which I'm sure you've dealt with in the past. But I really like that. I like the fact that you come in there and you get that thing because if they really truly want to sell and get maximum uh, return ROI on this business, then they've got to do it right because nobody's going to want to come in there and buy from a hothead. Right. Nobody's going to want to come in there and, you know, take over something to where you have to have because because the owner was a control freak or had to never let anybody in. You know, you've got to you really got to relinquish that. And so I think that's really wise, Jeff. I love that. So tell me who your ideal client would be if there is such a thing, because I know that sometimes, you know, there is a unicorn or two out there <laughs> waiting. To yes. Make yeah. You know? Well, my my ideal client is. Someone, small business, so making uh, probably two to ten million a year in uh, in revenue with about a twenty percent profit margin. Um, I'd like to work with companies that have been uh, established, so they're in business for uh, five years or longer, have ten or more employees. Um, I think the number of employees can, is a little flexible, but that I I have a heart for startups because I am a startup right now and. Because my wife is a startup, and yet I just know I would be better off working with those more established businesses, particularly when it comes to the selling. You know, if, if they're at the point where they're ready to start thinking about selling or preparing for sale, then then they meet those criteria. I'm yeah. fairly agnostic as to what kind of field 
they're in. Mm -hmm. um, so. No, I think it's good. Yeah. I, I think I, I like that. I, you know, we're, you know, one of the things that we were working on is, you know, is your, uh, I know we talked about story brand and Donna Miller, which is really good, but I think, you know, you offer such experience in the corporate world and in that place, which I find fascinating. Uh, I guess I find it fascinating because I really never stepped into that huge corporations. You know, I never, I, I've always been on the outside of that dealing with them from a vendor point of view or distribution point of view um, as an insurance, even though my insurance company was big, nothing compared to some of what these people you've worked with. And so I, I find it fascinating how you do that. But uh, so tell me this. So in, in this, in this process, what what do, what do you feel is going to be your number one uh i know we and i'm not going to release all the things that we talk about privately but what what do you think is the number one goal for you in 2023 to establish as a you know global corporate uh you know executive consultant on here what what is it that you would like to see in your business and that you could help bring you know maybe jesus in the marketplace covertly overtly and, you know, because I know you and Jeannie are doing a lot of things and she's doing her book right now and you guys are very active. You just got a brand new grandbaby, which is so cool, which that timing, mm -hmm. which that timing was all good. <laughs> so what what does that look like for the rest of 2023 for you? And, what you know, also, I want to make sure that we put in our show notes how people can get a hold of you if they want to ask you questions, because, look, we have clients out here. We have clients or listeners that are in corporations that are in C-level corporations that may want to contact you and say, hey. Why don't you come on board over here and help us out here? But tell me what does 2023 look like for Jeff and, and in, in this in this new business you've got going? What I'd like to do, you know, or, or have accomplished by the end of 2023 is to have two to four, um, I'd say clients, but I the goal is to become a partner with a small to medium business owners. Um, I, I've done the the employee thing for a long time. Uh, you know, the military, the, the corporation world. Now I want to become a an owner and a partner. Um, and so to have two to four partners in which I am bringing uh, all of my expertise and my knowledge and my experience to help them grow their business or to help them prepare for for selling their business. And let, um, let me ask you this, Jeff, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's real important. I want to, sure. when you say become partner, are you taking an owner equity position in their company? Yes, that would be the goal. I love uh, that. And, okay. So that, so that, all right. So would you come in there and buy into this or give your expertise for that equity as the consideration? More, more of the latter. So it's, okay. it's bringing. And I'm 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 stepping on you because it's, this is a platinum thing, okay? And I yeah. want I want our listeners to hear this. This is platinum, okay? That's called having skin in the game, ladies and gentlemen. That's called putting chutzpah in there. And you know, I, I imagine Jeff, you're going to take a deep dive into this company or whatever company comes to you before you know you're not going to just come into some crackerjack company. But you're going to take a deep dive and take a look at this company. And then if you say, hey, I can help you in this process. I'm going to come in here instead of paying me a big fee. I just want a piece of this action on the upside of that. Is that correct? That, that's it exactly. And that the skin in the game is the point. Of, you know, you, you companies could hire a consultant. They pay them X amount. The consultants give them whatever advice they have, and then they walk away. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or maybe they hope for a long-term, continued to be paid type relationship. But in a in a partnership model, I'm and completely invested in the company and and the company's success and it's you get all of me and and all of my focus and attention and and knowledge in exchange for you know a small stake in the business yeah i think that separates the wheat from the chaff right there i love that i love that model on there jeff i think it's really good and so what do you what if a company approaches you i mean like i said you're not going to just take any willy-nilly deal you know somebody's get you know you know, two guys in a garage trying to figure out, you know, AI and how they're going to make billions on it. I mean, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to take a look at that. What, what is it that you're going to look at first in that company to say, Hey, I'm going to come in here and I'm, I'm willing to give my services 
for a for a piece of this action on the upside. What do you look for first? A framework I like to use. Uh, you know, we already talked about understand the company. What, where are they at? Where do they want to go? And, and what's keeping them from getting there? And then the framework that I use um, is called the theory of constraints, and it says that. Any system in which you have connected parts, you know, your processes that one thing depends on the next, uh, the next step or the previous step. Any system like that has a constraint, something that you don't have enough of that limits your output. And so the process is to find that constraint and to make it as productive as possible, uh, organize everything around keeping that constraint productive and then once you've got all that, then you increase the capacity of this constraint. It's it's been it's a concept, a management concept that's been around for a long time, but it's not that well known. And, and I, in some ways, I don't know why that is. Because when it's used successfully, uh, the Air Force started using it to to do project management. That's where I first learned it. And you could cut the time of a project in half. No wow. more money, no more people. Just cut the time to deliver in half. That's uh, incredible. The Marine, the Marine Corps used it. Uh, they had a, I think he was a colonel that was in charge of one of their uh, maintenance facilities. They repaired helicopters, and he doubled the output of his uh, facility uh, in about a year, simply using the theory of constraints. And you know, again, no more people, no more money, no more resources, no more allocations for equipment from Congress, and he produced. <laughs> twice as many helicopters in a year. So it's very powerful and I am very enthusiastic about it. I don't want to go into too much detail, but that would that's the main framework I use. On the other hand, you know, maybe it's a people kind of thing and, and I've got a lot of experience managing, you know, trying to help well, <laughs> the entire employee cycle from hiring yeah. to to retiring. <laughs> I can help with so, that. So do you so is there Obviously, you know, like when I take on a coaching client, I mean, I got to have some chemistry there, you know, I mean, yep. and they, they have to be coachable, you know, and there's, you know, I want somebody that's ready to receive and humble themselves right into that process and submit to the process. Is it, is it the same for you? I mean, are you looking for some chemistry there with the owner, the CEO, the C-level, the C-suite, whatever that might be? Yes. Yeah, it would, it would have to be that we'd have to see eye to eye. I mean, the the actual details of, you know, how do you do that is that they would engage me for a consulting session, um, you know, and they'd bring their their problems to me and I'd give them everything that I've got for how to solve that problem. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's short, it's sweet, and that's a cash transaction. Uh, but in that, we're both looking to, can we add value to each other's lives and do we want to work together for, you know, X number of years to follow. So, I so think there's a exactly courting, there's a courting, saying. there's a courting process in this, right? Decide yes. whether yeah. you want to decide to ask the question, right? Or they it, ask it, the question. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, it should be fairly quick. But yeah. There is definitely, uh, you know, courting, dating, uh, you know. Yes. Start, a, start out with get a coffee and then let's, let's have a date and see yeah. if we can work together. No, that's great. That's really good. All right. So if if somebody's out there that wants to get a hold of you, Jeff, how do they how do they track you down? How do they look you up? Uh and give me a phone call. They can go to my website, which is the, the name of my company is Gyra Enterprises. And the website is gyraenterprises.solutions because dot com and dot biz was already taken. Spell Gyra. Uh, J-I-R-E-H. And what's the meaning behind that? Jehovah Jireh is the phrase that Abraham used that said, God provides Come or on. God sees. Yes. And so uh, as I was searching for a name and praying about it, I, that's what I think God gave me. He's going to provide. I love it. So I love it. All right. So you and Jeannie, your wife of how many years? 30 you'll be 37 in june come on son you have to catch up with me we're going on 38 in june so if you need some marriage counseling let me know we'll be <laughs> all right how many children do you have two children one grandchild yes and how old is that grandbaby oh gosh she's 
eight weeks now, I think. Crazy. Maybe nine. Might be up to nine. You know. Yeah. As soon as you guys left NBA, you guys went down to Austin, right? And boom. We got the phone call that morning uh, as we were leaving the hotel. Said, "Well, we think we might be in labor," and then it became, "Yeah, we're in labor." And we were halfway back to Austin from Dallas, and it was the midwife's here, and he can come at any time. And uh, luckily, he held off for a. Uh, I don't know, until about an hour after we get there. But the total labor time for my daughter was about six hours, which was just an answer to prayer. Listen, God's timing is yeah. perfect, yes? Yep. yep. Yeah, it, is. it was It was so impressive because, you know, we had a full three days here in MBA. And then, you know, you guys were saying, you know, we're going to have this baby. We don't know when, but we're going to have it. Next thing you know, I'm looking on <laughs> Facebook and I see you guys having a baby, man. It's like... That was awesome. I, I just love seeing your Facebooks and I love Jeannie uh, showing up big out there. And uh, you and your wife were, you and Jeannie were amazing at the McIntyre Business Accelerator. You guys were a joy to have in there. And you two are so opposite. You really are. And, uh, you know, the, the more we unpacked you guys, it was just the more impressive it was. It. And I know Jeannie's doing her book and she's busy on getting that published and get that out, which is going to be exciting. And uh, yeah, so how, like, and and this would be my final question. Yeah, well, actually, there's it, the second to the final question. How is it with you and Jeannie? I know you guys are traveling quite a bit, and you guys have been all over the world. How is it in this stage of your life, uh, both going into entrepreneurship, so to speak, and how is it working together and getting advice from each other, if any? We're still working through that, I think, <laughs> is is the, uh, the, the fair answer. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, my personality, my, the way of working, I like new things. I like, uh, you know, new ideas. So I'm trying to learn an awful lot. Jeannie does too, but she's learning in different ways. So she's, she's going in depth and uh, her passions are, are health and healing for the, the, for the person, both body and, and mind and spirit, um, parenting and marriage. And so she's been learning a tremendous amount and, teaching along the way because we're, we're both teachers my passions you know businesses and process and technology and i'm trying to learn about you know ai and chat gpt and those sort of things and so yesterday is an example we i showed her something that i was really excited about and she was like she took it as i was saying that she should be excited about it and she should do it and i'm like no 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 I just want you to be excited or see what's possible because I'm going to be the guy to help you do this. <laughs> and so, um, I love it. so we're, 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 you know, after 36 years of marriage, we kind of know how to work together, but we're, we're learning. Yeah. Stacy and I are too. Time. You, know, it, you know, as soon as we sold our insurance business and started in this kind of coaching, consulting, you know, all this stuff, it's a learning process for us too. And, uh, it is it's an exciting stage, but it's a different stage, as you guys know. All right. So my final question, Colonel, is this. Okay. Number one, what scripture are you sitting on right now, if any, uh, and why? And number two, what interesting books are you reading currently or have read? Had to think about it. I mean, let me ask now. I'm, I'm trying to think how to, to phrase this. Let me. Let me answer the second question first. All right. Uh, I'm in an online men's group, and one of the guys in the group is a brand new Christian. And and so he had a question about, you know, he's starting to figure out, like, what's my purpose in life? And, and how do I what's the path that God wants me on? And and as I was praying for him and for me, I, I heard God say, uh, go reread Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life. Mm. So I'm doing that. You know, wow. I read it 20, 25 years ago, however long it came out. But I'm I'm going back in and and going through that. And so as a result of that, of course, boy, there's just, you know, Rick has loaded that book with with Bible verses. And I'm kind of trying to marinate in all of them. Good. Um, so that's answer A. Answer B or that's answer B. Answer A is, you know, that the verse, the two verses that have guided my life. Uh, Jesus's words uh, in Matthew, I think it's 6, 34 to 35, but I might be wrong about it. But basically, don't be anxious. Mm. You know, seek first the kingdom and everything else will come to you. 
And the other one is Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those that are called, you know, according to his purpose. Amen. So good. We, we've just seen both of those play out in our lives time after time after time. And, and I, you know, he's not going to stop doing it. So. I feel the Holy Spirit on that one, Colonel. That's awesome. So, uh, man, I could go on for an I, I would love to get into stories of, you know, you're breaking the sound barrier for the first time <laughs> and how that was. And gosh, it's just, you know, I never forget. I went to my first air show uh, at Jacksonville Air Force Base when I was in the Air Force and I was sitting down that runway and, you know, you, you know, and you're right, right on the, you're right on the, uh, the, the, the field, right? You're right there. And, and here comes this, I guess back then it was probably a F-14, maybe back in the day, back in 1979, 1980, uh, maybe it was a F, I don't even know what the hell it was, but I remember this F4 thing. F-4 maybe then. Yeah, maybe. So yeah. And this thing was coming along and it couldn't have been more than a hundred feet off the tarmac. Right. And I'm looking at this thing and I see two of them coming and I'm looking down there. I don't know how long the runway is, probably three or four miles. I don't know, but they're coming and I don't hear anything. I'm not hearing anything. And all of a sudden they come by and it's like almost in total silence, they come by. And I'm like, my, you know, here I am a 17 year old kid at this with my jaw, you know, on the floor. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know? Um, and then, you know, then the C5 comes out, you know, the C5, remember the C5? Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. That, thing, that thing's like as big as, you know, you know, the, you know, the Empire State Building and it's flying and it looked when it takes, you know, that thing's not going to take off. There's no way that thing's going to take off, you know, <laughs> I, you know, what, that thing's a big fat rhino coming down the, down the runway. How is that going to get in the air? But it did. And then when it got in the air, it looks like it was going to fall out of the air every second. Because how how big is that C five? Do you remember? Gosh, no. But you can fit two M one A one Abrams tanks in the interior. Man, so. it's humongous. And is, I'm right though, right? When this thing's taken off, you think there's no way is that going to? How, how is it going to hit rotation on that thing? You know. Well, they're so big, they look like they're flying slowly when mm. they're actually not. I know. Just, you know. I've seen them. You're coming in and they're just like, you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget the first time I saw that big monster take off. And then, uh, yeah. And then I was, I remember one time I was walking around the KC-135, the refueler, you know, mm-hmm. we had refuelers there at the era for, and they were priority B aircraft. So they had it, we had it, we call it, we had a, you know, in the security, we had to hump that plane. Right. And, uh, you know, so we had to walk around that plane and, Every now and then they'd scramble and they'd do exercises. And we had, you, you, you would get a number and I'm sure you remember this, but they would give us a number. Uh, I'm not giving out any secrets here, but they, you know, they come out to the deal and they get, you give them a number and they give you a number to add up to the final number. Right. So you don't have to check their ID because all of a sudden if they're scrambling or doing an exercise, you know, you don't have the time to look at ID. And so I, I, this one guy came out to jog. He came out, this, this guy came out, it was some lieutenant was going to run around the base. It was on a weekend. And so he comes out and he gives me the number and he jogs. Well, he's gone a long time and I'm walking around this airplane and I forget that he's out there. I mean, we're, we're like 45 minutes. <laughs> and so all of a sudden I see this out of the corner of my eye, some legs running up, up underneath the airplane. And, uh, you know, my 17-year-old heart got pumping, and uh, I jacked him up, man. <laughs> I jacked him up and put him on the tarmac. And uh, he, he took him about three minutes to rem- so my memory would come back and, and let him back in. But uh, And then I had a lot of apologizing to do later to the, to the CO. <laughs> but, but I'll never forget the, the, the look on that guy's eyes when I jacked around in the chamber at that M16. He got on the ground really quick. <laughs> but uh but no i i just remember all that stuff the kc-135s and all that and it was all fascinating to me I, and of course i worked in the intercontinental ballistic missiles and the silos there and icbm titan twos and so uh but what a great outfit the air force is and your career i mean i you know i think i told you too at mba you should write a book about some of this stuff if you can i don't even know did you get a, how how high a clearance did you go to uh top secret special compartmentalized information man that's ba so. all the way man you you you're, you're gonna take some stuff to the grave i know that that's really impressive oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's very <laughs> impressive well colonel jeff 
thank you so much, man. Thank you for being, uh, you, you, you know, uh, you know, we all, it's just, you know, we're such patriots here at the McIntyre's and at Next Level Experience and at the NBA. And we just love your stories. And we've got more. And we're going to have to have you on again. We're going to have to have you and Jeannie on at the same time because you two are so funny together. And uh, you guys are impressive. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much, Jeff, for spending time here on this podcast, man. Hey, if you're in business, if you want to sell your business, if you need coaching on that, if you need uh, to come in and have somebody partner with you on it, I love Jeff's plan to come in there and partner with you and take a piece of that action and have skin in the game. Because look, when you're doing that, he's going to want you to get the most for your money because the more you get, the more he gets. And I think that's really mm -hmm. important, but it's not going to be a, a, a short, you know, stint. It's going to be a commitment. And I think that's really, that's the level that you want. You want somebody to come in there over the next, you know, six months to two years and work with you to get to this place to where you can sell this business. So Jeff, we wish you the best of luck on this. I know we've got a lot more to do with NBA. We're in the coaching season. Um, listen, I, I just a quick, quick plug here. What, what was it? What was a couple of big takeaways for you at NBA? I'm trying to think what the, I mean, it was all good. There was the, the meeting of everybody else in the group, you know, in the group dynamics, uh, you know, yeah, the speakers were out, outstanding, uh, you know, inspiring, uh, the things that I didn't know and I learned, uh, you know, the the need for marketing and sales funnels and, you know, like a lot of stuff that frankly isn't part of my corporate experience, but I'm in it now. Amen uh, to that. So, so, yeah, you know, there was it was it was tremendous. Yeah, I, I what I really enjoyed is hearing your story unfold and watching people just really be, you know, in that process. And I think, you know, the resources that we bring in, you know, from Eric Vang to David Nolan to Jason Castro to, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, Joe Galindo in and, uh, you know, Lauren Hatch and these people uh, not, you know, you know, uh, Dan Butcher at Clark Hill these people are invaluable to have. And I think, you know, when you bring that in, because you know this stuff, I mean, you know, you've been in the corporate world now, you understand. And I think to have that gain, that knowledge, when sometimes that's not always accessible to you, right, as an individual. Yeah. So I think that's valuable. Well, man, thanks again, Jeff. Thank you for being on uh, the Next Level Podcast. And uh, God bless you, bro. Keep on, keep on flying high, man. Aim high, right? Aim high. <laughs> You never yeah, that slogan, don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me on, Michael. It's my been my a, pleasure, a pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Next Level Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. For more resources to help you maintain your next level life, join our community at themichaelmcintyre.com.